Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Mark Lesser. Mark is an expert in leadership and mindfulness and developing effective communication skills. And in this conversation, we dive deep into the importance of having those difficult conversations that we sometimes don't know how to navigate, but how to navigate them with two words that don't often seem to go together in people's minds, the word compassion and the word accountability. And we explore why communication is key in both personal and professional relationships and how to foster a culture at your workplace and at your home that balances accountability and compassion and empathy From this conversation, you're going to gain insights on enhancing your emotional intelligence, practicing mindfulness, and building strong connections with others. So I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Mark Lesser. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Mark Lesser. Mark, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm really pleased to be here with you. So first off, I'm curious, you have a brand new book out. It's called Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships, Thriving Workplaces, and Meaningful Lives. And I know a lot of us have been in non-thriving workplaces and non-vibrant relationships, and we can go there, but I've not really heard the words compassionate or accountability especially never really used with the word clarity. I'm curious, what was the instigator that got you started along the thought process of talking slash writing about compassionate accountability and then how that connected to clarity? Yeah, that pairing of words came up in some work I was doing with a big real estate company on the East Coast. And I've noticed that people's eyes kind of lit up when they heard that phrase, because Who in the business world doesn't want accountability? We all want accountability, but it's kind of a dirty word. You know, it generally doesn't feel good. It feels like we're being squeezed or judged or we're being held accountable or lack of accountability. But when you put the word compassion in front of it, it's like, huh, maybe it's possible to have accountability with a sense of trust and goodness and compassion. And I've actually been bringing that work to other organizations as well. And it's it's a wonderful, I think, aspirational frame of what do we need to do to create a culture that is more accountable and more compassionate, a culture of compassionate accountability. And then in the middle of my writing this book, 
I wasn't sure if what I wanted to title it. And if my good friend turned to me and said, well, what is it really about? And I said, well, it's really about finding clarity. And she's like, that's it. That's the title. And there really is, I think, uh, clarity perhaps. And there are many, I think, different levels of clarity is sort of the key practice in order to fulfill one's aspiration of greater accountability and greater compassion. The word accountability to me has always kind of had that double-edged sword feeling to it. I grew up in religious culture, you know, I went to youth group and all that, and accountability partner was a phrase thrown around. That was a good term. That was the good side of it. It was you meet with someone, you check in on each other, you help each other with places that you're struggling, you have trust, you speak into one another's lives. There's obviously a certain amount of not letting things be hidden that are inherent in that relationship. But as you grow older and you hear about this word accountability and someone's got to be accountable and it feels like a judge, jury and executioner, right? It's like, oh, I'm being judged for something I did. I'm being handed a verdict and now I'm having that verdict executed out onto me. Yes. What you're describing, I'd say, is the shadow side of accountability. But the more positive side is who's doing what when or a word that I've been using more and more that is perhaps a softer way in to talking about accountability is the word alignment. Because really, a lot of what comes under this word, this phrase, this big bucket of accountability, accountable is relationship, right? I mean, to some degree, we are accountable to ourselves, right? So there is maybe our personal accountability. It's not used that way very often, but it works. And certainly, alignment works that way. Like, are my words and actions aligned with my values? Is my work is what I'm doing in the world? Are my relationships, is there alignment there? And then when it comes to any relationship or any team, is there alignment? Which the next sentence that's going to come out of my mouth is, are we clear, right? Are we clear about who is doing what, when? Are we clear about what success looks like? And it's interesting how I'm always blown away by how many organizations keep coming back to that question. What does success look like? Most organizations that, you know, ha have financial projections, right? So, so success looks like meeting these financial projections or these revenue and expense goals. Of course, most companies have that and are checking in about that. But how are you feeling about working here? How healthy is our culture? How are we doing in things like decision making? So those are all alignment questions and they're all kind of accountability issues. And I think partly a lot of people shy away from them just because of that shadow side. Like, oh man, if we start holding people accountable, no, let's talk about alignment. Are we aligned? You know, so it's, it's interesting language, but really having language serve us rather than punish us. Yes. Using language, you know, bringing in best practices, both, I think, from the business world, from the world of psychology, and, and even to some degree, you know, from the, if I call it the mindfulness world or the spiritual world, bringing in all of these different perspectives in order to have more effective businesses and healthier cultures. Well, and that's really where you've come from in terms of your background, you know, talking as a speaker, you know, you're a workshop leader, an executive coach, and you've had this spectrum of 
leading people or walking them through, whether it's on an individual basis or as a collective, the process of gaining clarity continually, again, both as an individual and as a collective. And you can call that, we often talk about self-awareness on this show or mindfulness, or you can call it whatever you want to call it. Clarity, self-awareness, mindfulness all seem to, they're partners in the thesaurus. So, Yes. You didn't mention in that litany, which I'm going to bring up here, which is Something that is, you know, I think fairly unique about me and my background is that I lived in a Zen monastery for five years. Strangely enough, it was in that context when I was asked to run a Zen monastery kitchen, which was a lot like any commercial kitchen because this was in the summertime. We had, you know, 70 or 80 overnight guests who expected gourmet vegetarian meals three times a day, you know, for 70 or 80 people. When you think of Zen monastery, you might think, oh, chilled out, super peaceful, relaxed. Well, come on into the kitchen while we're making dinner, you know, for 80 people. It was pressured, but there was a tremendous amount of accountability and compassion in that workplace. And though I wasn't using that language then, I felt like I experienced a terrific culture. And then I went to business school and then I found myself up in front of roomfuls, auditoriumfuls of Google engineers who wanted to take mindful leadership programs. And I found that my experience of working in a kitchen that was really devoted to service, selflessness, mindfulness, being kind and generous with each other, and producing a really high quality product went together really well. I was almost going to say, if the overlap of the high quality product in a high pressure situation, but then also the Zenness of it almost creates a Zen diagram instead of a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so much of, you know, we need to remove, how do you remove the drama and politics from the workplace? One of the first things you said as we were coming on is, We've all experienced crappy cultures. We've all experienced, you know, crappy relationships. And I think the starting place for great cultures, the starting place for relationships is the self-awareness work. There's a beautiful phrase from the, the mindfulness world, from the Zen world is about, you know, you, you study the self as a way of going beyond the self. And I think this is particularly important in relationships because how do we include the other person? How do we really listen to who these other people are? And this is so important when we're working with teams, when we're building great cultures, is this not being stuck in our own views, understanding what our views are, but being willing to sometimes soften them or let them go and, and incorporate more than what our own, you know, small minds, especially. Well, it seems like listening is a skill that just doesn't get taught as a business skill. And I'm not just talking in terms of the critical analysis signal to noise ratio communication side of it. I'm talking about like really hearing, really taking it in and not just from the side of I'm listening to them, but also from the, again, the clarity side of things. Again, clarity does apply here when it comes to signal versus noise ratio, but I'm talking clarity in terms of self-awareness side of things of actually taking the time, pausing, taking a breath, putting in those, those rituals, best practices, consistent routines 
of seeking self-awareness of my own self. How do I feel? Where am I today? What am I doing today? A lot of the stuff that when we're talking about productivity and to-do lists, it's like, okay, what do I have to do today? That's one style of going about it, looking at a list, making a list, etc. But I'm talking a way of going below that list of digging to deeper motivations and awareness and subconscious thoughts, feelings, et cetera, but also higher than that to like aspiration and inspiration of where I want to get to and where I want to be. And you speak to a lot of that in your work. Yeah. Well said. Well said. You know, I love the through line between my self-awareness, my presence, what I'm bringing, my body, you know, body awareness is really important as a leader, but in all relationships. And then there's all of the practices around relationships and collaboration, being able to collaborate. And then there's the getting stuff done, decision-making and putting in the right structures and hiring the right people, you know, having a business model that is effective, being able to pivot, being able to change when we need to change. So that through line and then even I like to take it out further. It's like, man, the world is the world is pretty messed up at this moment in time as we're talking. There's some wars bursting around us. And I think these things are all connected, right? Starting with our, our own state of mind, relationships, collaboration, and how we influence our communities. And I also think, you know, Eric, the the phrase beginner's mind, when you when you were talking about listening. A big part of listening and maybe one of the hard parts of listening is, again, letting go of our fixed ideas, becoming aware of our fixed ideas. And that's hard. You know, we like our fixed ideas. We like to be right. We like to be smart. It means being a bit vulnerable, wandering into that territory where maybe there's something I'm not seeing here. Maybe there's a way I can grow here. And again, I think this is the beauty of mindfulness practice meditation practice, and relationship practice. It was one of my big ahas back in my Zen monastery days is, wow, I'm learning a lot by being in a leadership role. Like, how do I express my vision for how we are working together in a way that doesn't feel heavy-handed, but is clear and effective? And in my early days of leadership, I was often going back and forth with being not being clear enough about what I wanted or being overly, you know, not giving people enough space and empowering others. I didn't, I didn't know any of that then. And that's been a continual learning process for me, both in my leadership roles that I've been in. And these days I, I get to do coaching and consulting and I'm not shy about saying, man, it's so much easier being a coach or a consultant than is being a leader. I get to leave those places, but how to be there in a long-term way and have healthy relationships, be an effective, compassionate, accountable leader. It's hard. It's humbling. You get to kind of come in and be the fun uncle who gets to spoil the kids and then leave. Something like that. Or sometimes I get to be the hard guy to, to point out that, you know, this place is like a fish tank where the water has not been changed in a while and you all don't seem to see it, but take a look and let's do the hard work here of cleaning things up. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fish tank for a second here and say, okay, say you come into a scenario and you realize it is a fish tank. How do we, one, do the overhaul of cleaning the tank in and of itself? But then what practices do we start to do and put into place as an individual as well as a collective of everybody living in the fish tank together to make sure it doesn't get to that state again? We will need to clean it consistently, but what does that look like in terms of your process and and working with everybody? Yeah, it's funny because I literally just got off a call. I'm doing a 360 for a CEO of a fairly sizable company. They've prided themselves on flexibility and they don't want to be corporate. And man, it's like, it's interesting to find that right balance. But so part of it is looking at the natural tension, say, between structure and flexibility. Hey, we don't want to have an HR person. That's too corporate. Well, okay. Well, who's looking after things and who's doing payroll here? And, uh, how do you think about compensation plan? So there's like, there's just all of the 
what I think of as the the nuts and bolts thing that any business needs to have that doesn't have to be corporate. But then there's being able to talk about these things openly. Like, let's talk about what's working well here and what needs to be improved. Again, leaning on best practices for what I think of as the, you know, things like accounting, operations, sales and marketing, but then below the line, leadership skills, emotional intelligence skills. How do we work more skillfully with having difficult emotions? How do we work skillfully with understanding motivation? How do we empower and inspire people? In the last couple of days, I've brought out what I think of as the SCARF model. Are you familiar with the S-C-A-R-F model of motivation? I think so, but refresh my memory. Yeah, so it's status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Again, I think of these as really important leadership levers. Are you giving or taking away status? Are you giving or taking away certainty? Autonomy is a really big one. Has to do with the culture and practices around decision making. You know, status is from titles to, you know, compensation, but to offices and, you know, what you get to do or don't do. And interesting studies that were done that a loss of any of those five things has been shown to show up in the brain in pain centers, right? So a loss of status, certainty, or autonomy. Fairness is another big one, right? Creating a culture that feels fair. It means openness so that there's a sense that people understand that we want to create a culture that is giving people supporting people in all five of these qualities and not this constant either mystery or taking away. I mean, those are the really crappy cultures where we we don't feel any sense of autonomy or certainty or status, and it's not fair. You know, more healthier cultures are aware of and bringing more positive practices and relationships in these areas. Well, and it seems another attribute to that is, is it's that you may lose it while someone else gains it and it just feels random and it doesn't feel, again, it doesn't feel accountable. It doesn't feel like there's a, a logic to it, a natural, if A plus B equals C, well, I did A and I did B, but I didn't get C, but somebody else got C, but they didn't do A plus B, they did A only. What's going on? <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, some of these, you know, like certainty is an interesting one because we all want certainty, but it's always going to have its limitations. We want to create organizations and cultures that feel solid, predictable. I think I'm going to be working here for the next five or 10 years. And we need, we need a certain amount of certainty, but we also need to have skills for working in uncertain environments. Things like status, you know, we sometimes need to let it go. There's always going to be people who have more status, you know, more empowerment or, you know, so it's like we need to be aware of these, these various human elements. But, and this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about, about beginner's mind and about listening is not getting too hung up, too attached to our own viewpoints around these qualities like certainty and status and autonomy. Yeah, it seems like having a goal of certainty, which is what some would call the pursuit of clarity, clarity meaning I'm clear, I know, I have certainty. No, that's not what that is. Clarity is in the moment and then the next moment and then the next moment and we continue to seek it out. But like 
you're not going to reach that if you're claiming to certainty, which by claiming to certainty, you're claiming to certain viewpoints that honestly, we all need to be a little more malleable with and open to new data coming in. Yeah. I mean, one of the examples I use in the beginning of my book in trying to describe, well, what do I mean by clarity? You know, I said, well, take a tree. A biologist can tell you, you know, the, all of the inner workings of this tree, or we can paint this tree and we could, we could be clear about what this tree looks like or feels like or smells like. But there's another viewpoint that there's a certain mystery, a certain lack of knowing and a beautiful thing to be able to see that tree as new and fresh and through the eyes of mystery. And this is true of ourselves, how we see ourselves, how we see all of our, especially our important relationships, whether it's with our partners or children or parents, people we work with. You know, going back to the question that you asked a little earlier, what is it that creates the dirty fish tank? It's when we think we know who those other people are. We kind of feel, you know, their limitations. We've given up trying to understand them. We've given up on our higher aspirations of what's possible in this workplace. And it gets, the water gets dirtier and dirtier. So that's the starting point is I think to acknowledge the dirty water, to acknowledge that I have a role in it. If we just, oh, it's all them, man, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the, the dirty fish tank. It's them. There's them. It starts with, okay, I'm going to take some responsibility for cleaning up this culture. I'm going to go first. I'm going to be vulnerable and say, Hey, we've got some problems here. Let's find a way to talk about them. I'm taking responsibility. So it's interesting. That's part of accountability is that I'm responsible. So it does start, I think, with holding myself accountable rather than as it's usually used. It's usually so outward focused. Another inward focused method of accountability that I think ties in here is your rule or approach of no festering not holding on to things, being truthful about them. Of course, this requires tactfulness and the right words, the right time, place to bring things up, but to have dialogue about things and not just let them sit and fester and turn into the fish tank. Yes. It was a rule that I created in the first company where I I noticed that I was walking on eggshells around one of my key employees because she seemed mad at me. And when I, when we sat down to talk, I found out it had nothing to do with me. She was having some issues at home, you know, with her marriage. And, and that was like, oh man, we decided to create this no festering rule. A related expression that I find myself coming back to is that if you're not creating trust in an organization, the default is cynicism. Cynicism is easy. Cynicism is really, I'd say, one of the main ingredients of that dirty fish tank that we're talking about. Everyone has kind of given up on thinking that positive change is possible. Oh, my boss just doesn't listen. They're not going to change. So much of this, it might be that people think, oh, listening, of course, of course I do that. But can you listen in a way that creates trust? Or are you through limited listening? and limited responsiveness, are you creating a more cynical atmosphere? One where there isn't room to look at what's not working and there isn't room to look at what could be improved, what's aspirational. Let's let's get excited about creating a healthy culture, a place where we spend so much of our time at work. 
Well, as a leader or a person who's been in that position before, can you recommend some best practices for those out there that are leaders where they can they can start to train themselves to be more adept at handling these types of emotional challenges in their workplace? Yeah, well, I'd say it starts with the ongoing practice of self-awareness, which my bias around this or my experience around this is that it's a body practice, a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice combined with studying the pieces of emotional. And I think emotional intelligence and mindfulness are both really good frames for the internal work of leadership as well as the external work. You know, so much of emotional intelligence is how to have difficult conversations, how to practice empathy and compassion, how to build one's social skills how to empower others, motivation, the practice of alignment, envisioning, and resilience are the three, you know, in the emotional intelligence uh, model, those are the three parts of the big bucket of motivation, understanding what motivates you, what motivates other people. You know, I actually think leadership can help one's mindfulness practice, one's self-awareness practice, a great cauldron, and one way to develop one's self-awareness is to take on being a leader. And we're all leaders in that some of it is about role, but it's really about influence, how we are affecting, how we're influencing others and being influenced by others. Yeah. We've talked about emotional intelligence on this show in the past, not just you being part of a collective, but there's an individual work that happens. And so as we kind of close out here, I want to say, like, I really believe a lot of people feel they don't have any agency at all. We've seen a lot of the reckoning of this recently when it comes to terms like quiet quitting and other things like that over the course of the past year, two years, three years, et cetera. I think it's kind of a reckoning when it comes to, you know, our workplaces and the way they've been and the way we've been and feeling like we have no power, no agency. What's the smallest amount of time, effort, whatever that can make the most starting daily quick win momentum when it comes to gaining some of that ownership slash agency back? Yeah, I think it starts by having the courage to even ask the question, what agency do I have? What conversation might I have that might really make it? Imagine I could have a skillful and effective conversation with, again, whether it's your your supervisor or coworker, or sometimes it's in our whole life, And this is quite common, I find. There are toxic workplaces, but I think they're pretty rare where no one is going to listen to you, where there's just no way you're going to have any agency. Well, you should, you you should find another job if you're in such a, such a workplace, I, I think. But what I've discovered is it's mostly we get cynical without even realizing we give up. We make some assessment that this person is never going to listen. This person is never going to change. I've had pretty good success rates with the people that I work with by starting with asking the question, maybe practicing a little bit, reading, you know, a good book to read is the book Difficult Conversations. It's a great, great little read. There are many good books, but get some skills on understanding why it's hard, why we all struggle with having these conversations and learn little by little, can we talk? And it's not about blame. It's about understanding that we all have our own stories, that we all have our own experiences. So if you can start to understand what the other person's experience is, who you feel like is disempowering you, 
you can start to find your way into making some change there by starting to ask, is there one conversation I could have? How could I better understand this, this other person or these other people? What is it about this culture that I could step in and make some small change in? Well, that's a great place to start. Another great place would be to grab your book, Finding Clarity. What's a great place for people to go find out more about your book, but also about the work that you're doing and start to head down this path? Come to my website, which is marklesser.net, M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. I have a weekly meditation group. I'm often doing workshops and retreats and trainings. I mostly work with CEOs or senior leaders these days, and I seem to be more in the culture change business, which I really like. Again, you know, taking that dirty fish tank and even starting by scrubbing some of the corners, but culture change, culture change is, is just phenomenal work. I feel greatly humbled and honored to be able to do it. Well, you're doing great work. We definitely need the fish tank cleaned. We need somebody to sometimes point out that it's dirty. We get so used to living in it that we don't notice. But Mark, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your insight, your expertise, and thanks for being so open and accountable. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mark Lesser. And make sure to check out the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. That's where you can find links to everything we talked about, find out more about Mark and connect with him. But also, that's where you can do me the favor of sharing this episode with somebody you know needs to hear it. I know somebody may not want to share a how to have a hard conversation podcast episode with somebody at their work. But then again, maybe it's somebody that you know is dealing with something hard or difficult at work that falls in line with what we just talked about. Help them out. Share this episode with them. Let them know about it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or again over at the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Thanks again for sharing. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.